0: Today's scripture reading is from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and it's printed on page 6 of your bulletin, if you'd like to follow along. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malan and Kilian died so that the, women, uh, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband.
1: Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your word now, we don't presume to live over your word or besides your word. We live under your word. So what you have for us today, shape us, mold us, let us see More deeply, your love and your glory, and the story of salvation through the story of Ruth. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Last night, my family and I, we watched The Father of the Bride. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I watched that because I am a father of the bride. My daughter got engaged earlier this summer, and this time next year she will be married And so um, we wanted to see this movie to find out what it's all about. As I was watching uh, *The Father of the Bride*, though, the question Steve Martin coming up in my mind, and I think it's the the same question that keeps coming up in Steve Martin's mind in *The Father of the Bride*: How did I get here? This year I turned forty-seven years old, three years away from fifty. I feel like I should know so much more about how the world works how people work. I feel like I should have more answers than questions. And I keep thinking, how did I get here? I find myself in situations over and over again where I think, it's like almost like deja vu. Like, I, I feel like I've been here before. Like, I, I should know the answer to this. I feel like I should know how to fix minor plumbing issues in my home or minor car issues with my cars. That I should know some answers to life and about God and about pain or about whatever. And yet I keep thinking, how did I get here? The answer really isn't all that super profound, is it? It's choices. The choices I made and the choices that were made for me. That's why I'm here. That's how I got here. I didn't choose the family that I was in, neither did any of you but I did choose how I was going to live within that family. I didn't choose the school I went to growing up, my elementary, junior high, high school, but I did choose whether I was going to work hard and how I was going to treat my classmates. I did choose the college I went to. I also chose how hard I was going to work there, which wasn't very hard, and that's why I failed out. I chose to go to North Carolina when I failed out, but I didn't choose to meet Amber, the girl I eventually married. I did choose to pursue Amber, and she chose to love me. I chose to ask her to marry me, and she chose to say, no, you need to go back to college. (laughs) So I'm not too sure if I chose to go back to college but I did choose that I would do anything to marry that girl. I could keep going and going and going on all the choices that I made and that were made for me, and you could as well. But all of your choices, the ones you made, the ones you didn't make, the ones that were made for you, have led you to right here, right now, sitting in this church. What you choose matters. So why did I choose the book of... Because Ruth to preach through. I thought that Ruth was a beautiful connection. Because Ruth starts with lament. We're going to read about it this morning. It is heartbreaking, the story that starts Ruth. But it ends in Advent. As we see the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons I chose Ruth. The next reason I chose Ruth is because I am building, I've been called to build a church here, and so have you. And that means that we need to lay down a foundation. We started with 1 Peter, the foundation of who we are in Jesus Christ. And then we lay down the foundation of lament. How do we deal with suffering and pain? And now, I want to lay down the block, the building block for this church, which is this, a major theme we see in Ruth. God is at work in everything. There is not one place in your life where God isn't working. And that even when we are faithless, God is faithful. We're going to see that theme over and over again. That's the second reason why I chose Ruth. The third reason is this. That the story of Ruth is the story of grace. And that we will see in the book of Ruth that God's grace is for the outsider, it's for the brokenhearted, and it's even for the rebellious. The wonder of grace that we see in the book of Ruth should warm, and I pray it will, warm our hearts because we fall into one of those categories, don't we? The outcast, the brokenhearted, or the rebellious. So those are the three reasons why I chose Ruth, to connect us from lament to advent. By the time I'm done with Ruth, you guys should be start your Christmas shopping. Okay, that's the trigger. So when I say we're almost done with Ruth, that's when you, you kids, you start writing out your Christmas lists and you parents start shopping, right? The second is that God is always at work. And the third is that grace is the final word for God. So let me give you a little background to the book of Ruth. We're not too sure who wrote the book of Ruth. We do know when the book of Ruth happened. It happened at a time of the judges. That's what we have read at the very beginning, in the days when the judges ruled so, this book happened around 1200 BC, 1200 years before Christ. This book is divided up into four acts. So, if you're in the theater, it's four different acts chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. Chapter one is all about Naomi, she is the central character. Chapter two is all about Ruth and the role that she plays. Chapter three, act three, is all about Ruth and Naomi. And then Act 4, chapter 4, is all about this man named Boaz. What kind of story is this? Well, it's a narrative. That's what kind of book it is. It's a narrative, which means it's very important for us as we're reading it to pay attention to the places and the people, their names, the settings, what's happening, the events. They're all going to help us understand the beauty of this book, the romance in the book, the intrigue in the book. And just like any story, it has a beginning, it has this climax, and then it has a conclusion. And so it's going to be important for us to kind of stop and and think about the people that are being talked about, the places that they are, because it's going to show the beauty of the book. What you're going to see about this book, though, is it's a very normal story. David Strain, who is a pastor down in Mississippi, who wrote a commentary on this book, was really helpful about this. This is what he said. Ruth is remarkably normal. There's no miracles, no supernatural, no visions, no angels, no earthquakes. This is a normal story of people making choices. Some are faithless choices. Some are faithful choices, but God is working through all of it. Because God is always working through our choices. There's something else I want to say about the book of Ruth. I want us to remember what the Bible does. In 2 Timothy 3:16, it says this, "The Bible is good for teaching, for reproof, which is also rebuking, for correction, and for training. Being a pastor, I, I simplified this into three words all beginning with the same letter. Alliteration, which is my spiritual gift. The Bible is good for shaping you, for slapping you, and for saving you. And so in this book, that is what we're going to see. This book, in certain parts, and even today, it's going to become a little bit uncomfortable for some of us. But I want you to lean into that discomfort that you experience. Because God has something wonderful for us. We're going to love Ruth. So we're going to look at verses one through five this morning. We're going to look at the beginning of the story of hope in heartache. And we're going to see at the very beginning, this is a heartbreaking beginning to this story. We're going to see three things. We're going to see the misstep at the beginning. We're going to see the misery, and then we're going to see the Messiah. So, let's start with the misstep. The story begins giving us the background in the days when the judges ruled there. The story begins with the judges. What do we know about the time of the judges? Well, the judges is a book right before Ruth. And during Judges, the Israelites were living in this vicious loop, and the loop went like this. The Israelites lived without a king, and so they did what was right in their own eyes. If you read the book of Judges, that line is said over and over again. They didn't have a king, and they lived doing what was right in their own eyes. Then the loop begins. Because of that, they start making choices, and their choices were always to be selfish and self-centered. And so God would judge them and bring a judgment upon them. These judgments took different forms. Some were oppression by other nations. One judgment was famine, where there was no food, there was no water, there was a drought. People would starve. The people would get to the point where they would start screaming out to God, crying out to God, lamenting to God. And then God would hear their laments, their cries, and he would send a judge to deliver them. And then for about 40 years, life was good. And then it starts all over again. They did what was right in their own eyes. They were judged. They would cry out. God would send a deliverer. Everything was good. Then they would do what was right in their own eyes. Then they would get judged. Then they would cry out. And then God would send a deliverer. This was happening over and over again. At the beginning of Judges... The very first, uh, one of the first uh, judges was a guy named Othniel, and Othniel was a squeaky clean hero. This guy was a superman. But by the end of Judges, you have this guy called Samson, who is a womanizing drunkard, who is not at all faithful to the Lord, and yet God is faithful to him. So what you see in the book of Judges is this kind of downward spiral of what's happening the people the way they act the way they lived and God's judgment towards them and in this downward spiral of judges you had this glimmer of hope which is the book of Ruth the book of Ruth is embedded in this story of spiral downward spiral of humanity to show that God will save his people once for all in the book Or in a story of hopelessness, Ruth is a story of hope. So during this time of judges, there is a famine. Remember what I said? Famine was a type of judgment that God would bring upon the people. There was no food. There was a food shortage. It was a crisis, an economic crisis. But it wasn't just an economic crisis. There was a theological crisis. There was a spiritual crisis because the people were unrepentant. They were turned away from God, and now God was judging them. And in this crisis, there is a man, a man from a town called Bethlehem. Maybe some of you know what happened in Bethlehem many, many years later, 1,200 years later, in fact, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And this man made a choice to take his family, and they went on a journey, a sojourn, it says here, to the country of Moab. Remember, in this story, names are really important. And so we want to kind of look at some of the names that are here at the very beginning. Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? It means house of bread. So somebody reading this, a Jewish person reading this, would have understood the irony. There's a famine There's no food, and in the house of bread, a place that was known for its bread, there was no food. For us, maybe we would say there was a drought in Kansas, the bread bowl of America, and there was no bread. And there's a story of a man who lived in Kansas, and he goes to New York City. It's very similar here. This man decides to sojourn to Moab. The word sojourn matters. That's a very important word because sojourn meant that you would go to a place just for a short time. Abraham was a sojourn. He sojourned through different countries, but he never really settled there. He was just there for a little bit, and then he was going to go to his final destination. And so this man sojourned, and this is important. He just planned to go to Moab just for a little bit during this, just to kind of wait out this famine, and then to go back to Bethlehem. Moab, that is an important place. Moab, the Moabites' this relationship between Lot and his daughter. And so the Moabites were a very wicked people. They were a people that were pagans. They were not nice, and they hated the Israelites. There are stories in the book of Numbers, Numbers 22 and Numbers 25, of how the Moabites want to oppress and destroy the Israelites. And then in Judges 3, there's this fantastic story about this big, fat king named King Eglon, and he was a Moabite. And God sends a deliverer named Ehud, To kill this wicked king. And I won't tell the story because it's too graphic, but you can read about it and explain it to your kids in Judges 3. But the Moabites were a nasty people. And that is really important because they hated the Jews and they hated God. And this is where this man decides to go. This man's name we find out the man who makes this choice for his family. His name is Elimelech. The name means, my God, Yahweh. My God is king. The irony is, though, that Elimelech does not seek God's face in his decisions. He makes his own decision. Elimelech, decides to leave the promised land and go to the unpromised land, to the Moabites. little word about this famine. As I said, this famine was a judgment from God. Deuteronomy 28, God lays it out. God says, listen, if you obey my commandments, I will bless you. And if you disobey my commandments, I will curse you. And the curse that I will give to you is famine. You will have no food. But if you repent, then I will restore you. The judgment had a purpose. It was to restore the Israelites. And so this famine was actually God drawing his people back to him. If the people cried out to God and repented, and believed, then the, lamb, then the famine would be lifted. And Elimelech, as a Jew, should have been a part of that. He should have been a part of repenting and crying out to God and asking God to lift up this famine from all of the people, including his family. But Elimelech doesn't do that. What Elimelech decides to do is try to sidestep this famine. Because Elimelech does not have a godly world view. He is looking at the world as he is king. What is the best for me and for my family? And so he tries to sidestep God's judgment instead of going through it. Instead of lamenting through it. Instead of repenting through it. He decides to take his family and go somewhere else. And in this sidestep, he missteps because he moves away from God. Geographically, Moab is east of Bethlehem. And in the Bible, there are certain stories, the very first story of Adam and Eve, where God kicks them out of the garden because of their rebellion, and he sends them to the east In the Bible, when people are traveling to the east, they are moving away from God. Think about the wise men. Where did the wise men who came to see Jesus, where did they come from? They came from the east to the west. They were coming to God. But Elimelech here is moving away from God as he goes into the land of Moab. Now, I've got to be honest. Who would blame this guy? There's a certain point where we could sit there and be like, oh, Elimelech, how faithless are you? And sadly, he was. But that would be any of us. I've never seen anybody starve, but I can only imagine that in starvation, you are desperate. You would do anything to save your family. We learn a little bit about his family. His wife's name is Naomi. Naomi means pleasant and kind. Naomi was a beautiful person. Pleasant and kind. And they had two sons, Malon and Kilion. Malon means sickly. And Kilion means frail. Here's this man who has this beautiful, lovely wife, and he's got two little boys who are sick, what is he going to do? He wants to take care of them, but he missteps. He leads because he never consults God. And he leads his family away from God. Two things I want to talk about real quickly, about Elimelech, what we learn from Elimelech. One is this, sin is subtle. Subtle is spelt S-U-B-T-L-E, just so you know. I spelt that wrong so many times in this. But it's subtle. You see, he was trying to do the best for his family. But because he never consulted God he misstepped, and he fell into sin. When I became a pastor, when I was ordained in this denomination, my father gave me a charge. Now, it wasn't like a a list of all that I owed him. I owed him a lot. That wasn't the charge he gave me. What he gave me was an encouragement. And this was the encouragement. He said this, first, you are a Christian. Second, you are a husband third you are a father fourth you are a pastor and this is what he said you invert any of those and put them at number 1 you will worship an idol the choices we make matter and sin is subtle Elimelech was first a Jew, and that means he should have consulted God, prayed with him, talked with him, but instead he made his family an idol and misstepped. Second, because he made a family, his family an idol, fear led his decision-making, not faith. What is fascinating about this is the first five verses I just read, or Kurt just read, I should say, they never mention the name of God. But the rest of the book of Ruth, every other verse has the name of God. The first five verses, not God, and then every other verse mentions the name of God. And that is there to show that Elimelech was operating out of fear and not faith. And when God is not in the equation of your decision-making, then the sum of your decisions is fear. I want to speak directly now to the men in here. Men, husbands, fathers, I think you understand this. I know most of you. I know that you long to be good fathers I know you long to be good husbands. I know you long to lead well and lead your family and care for them. But in this passage, there is a warning. There is a slap, if you will, to wake you up. What is your worldview? How does your worldview shape the decisions you make? Where is God in your decision-making? And this is one that resonates with me. Are you living out of fear? Or are you living out of faith? This is a warning in this passage. Especially when disaster and sadness and tragedy and hardship comes to your home. What is your knee-jerk reaction? The heartbreaking beginning of this story reminds us the importance of having a worldview where God is the center and where His Word is shaping us. Elimelech makes a choice for his family without ever praying or seeking God's wisdom, and his decision led his family into misery. That's my second point, second thing we see in this, in this passage. The first is the misstep, the second is the misery. Remember that Elimelech only meant to be in Moab just for a short while. He was just going to sojourn there. He wasn't going to stay long. He just wanted to ride out this famine. But this is a very important phrase here. It says this. It talks about his names of his uh of his children and his wife, and then at the end of verse 2, it says, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. That is not a great translation. What it should say is that they went into the fields of Moab, and they stayed there. Because the minute they got to those fields, they saw what they needed, food. I have not I've never been starving. I don't know anybody who has ever been starving. But I can imagine if you take somebody who is truly starving and you put them in like the produce or the bread aisle at Wegmans, it's going to be tough getting them out of there. They're going to hunker down. And that's exactly what happens with this family. They see what they want and they hunker down. Many times, when we find what we think we want, we are willing to compromise everything to stay there. Maybe you have that relationship that you think this is it. This is going to bring me all purpose and meaning and I'm willing to compromise anything for it. Maybe it's that job. Maybe it's your values. This is what happens here. They compromise They decide to stay. Elimelech, I'm reading into the passage here, but I'm sure Elimelech's like, we're here. I've done it. I got my family out of famine. We've got food now. Now we've got a future. Now we've got a hope. And then he dies because he wasn't counting on that. The story just moves. In verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. You see, in Elimelech's choice, he led his family into misery. And here is Naomi, and the story shifts here. Naomi becomes the central part of this story. But maybe there's some hope. She has two sons. And these sons, they take wives. And these wives are from Moab, Orpah and Ruth. But they're married for ten years no children, they're barren, they're desperate, and then what happens? They die. What a misery Naomi has been led into. What a misery she must experience here. But God has something better for Naomi. There's a switch at the end of of uh, three, or there's a switch in, in in verse three where now Elimelech is out of the picture, and now all eyes are on Naomi. Naomi is now the central figure of this heartbreaking beginning, because it shows that Elimelech's faithless choices profoundly impacted his wife and children. And here in verse three, at the end. Of verse 5, in fact, she is all alone. Husband dead, sons dead, she needs a Messiah. You can't have Messiah without mess. You cannot have Messiah without mess. The story of Ruth starts with this really heartbreaking mess. How did we get here? I am sure Naomi asked that over and over and over again. But in this story of a complete mess, there are glimmers of real hope. The hope that God is always working and in this pretty normal, faithless, broken-hearted family, God is working out one of the most amazing stories. We see the glimmer in the name Bethlehem, the very beginning, the house of bread, of course, the birthplace of the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. In this story, Bethlehem is a place of famine and hopelessness. But it becomes, in God's story, a place of living bread and hopefulness. This family is from a tribe called Ephrata or Ephrahites, which means fruitful. Yet by the end of verse 5, they are anything but fruitful. Yet out of this apparent barren and bare situation, we're going to see the Messiah emerges And the last glimpse of the Messiah is you see in the name of Ruth. The name of Ruth means friend. And Ruth becomes a Messiah-type person in this story as she seeks to save and to help and to rescue her mother-in-law. And we're going to see about that loyalty next week. But something you need to know about Ruth Ruth was a Moabite, which means she was an outcast, but by the grace of God, she is brought in to his family, and out of Ruth's lineage comes Jesus Christ. So despite, despite Elimelech's unfaithful missteps and Naomi's misery, God is working in the mess to bring his Messiah. Friends, our choices matter. And I would reckon to say that many of you, and I know I have, made choices that have left us in a real mess. One of the most comforting thoughts I have comes from Romans 8.28, which is that God is working all things together. Our faithlessness, our ignorance, our arrogance, our selfish choices. He's working for our good and that not even our choices as a people can thwart his plan to seek and save the lost. My friends, you can pray with me that over these next eight weeks, pray that God will show us where we need to return to him as we look at the book of Ruth, where we need to submit to him, where we need to trust him that he is at work in our lives. Pray that you will see that his grace for you Means that he is faithful to you, even and especially when you are faithless to him. And then rest in his love for you and grace towards you. That is why we come to the table. At this table, we see a Messiah who takes care of all of our mess. At this table, we see a God who is faithful even when we are faithless. And at this table, this is where we renew our faith. So we can make choices based on faith and not fear. So let's go to the table now. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your table, we thank you for the book of Ruth. Lord, how you have grace for the outcast, for the unlikely. You have grace upon grace for those, even those who act out of fear and are faithless. And so now, as we come to the table, feed our faith in you. Amen.